This podcast is made possible by the Social Voice Project. This is Tony Lavorna from Tony Lavorna's Legends and Lore podcast. The number you have reached, 911, has been changed to a non published number. 911 is not a working number for your area. We're sorry, you have reached a number that has been disconnected or is no longer in service. Tony Lavorna's Legends and Lore podcast explores the history and tales of ghost stories, mysterious crimes, murders, UFOs, witchcraft, and other occult happenings still thriving in the greater Ohio Valley region of Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Ohio, and beyond. Outside of the small town of Avella, not far from the West Virginia border, is a long and sparsely populated tree-lined stretch that has become home to a variety of supernatural tales. Unlike many of the other haunted roads, this particular road does not need an alternative spooky-sounding name, because its real name is creepy enough. A label like Shades of Death Road almost guarantees that legends and ghost stories will accompany it. Shades of Death Road meanders for almost two miles connecting Campbell Drive and Bethel Ridge Roads. They're surrounded by woods and vegetation. Part of the road follows Hollow Rock Run. A distinct feeling of isolation can quickly come over anyone who takes the lonely route, either by car or on foot. In addition to the very few and scattered houses, Bethel Church and Cemetery are located near the Bethel Ridge Road end. An old mine and possibly even a cave exist on the woods along the road as well. Welcome listeners. Today we're on location. This is Tony Lavorna for Tony Lavorna's Legends and Lore podcast. Today we're here at Shades of Death Road in Avella, Pennsylvania. One of the biggest mysteries about Shades of Death Road is the origin of its name. No one seems to quite agree on its source. The most mundane explanation is that the numerous trees that lined the road form a canopy that blocked out most of the sunlight even in the middle of the day. It was said to be so dark that farmers who took their wagons down the road during the day had to use lanterns to light the way. There is no way to know for sure if this origin story is true, but it would seem plausible. As I walk along the road leading up to the Bethel Church and Cemetery, there's a slight variation for the explanations that exist for the name of this road. In 2001, while writing an article for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, reporter writer David Templeton interviewed a resident who heard that it was Indians, not the farmers who named the road. The trees that blocked the sunlight were hemlocks and therefore poisonous. Templeton quickly pointed out a problem. 
It is the hemlock plant that are poisonous, not the trees. So walk up this path leading to a gate to the Bethel Church Cemetery. Writer Heather Frazier was the first to come up with an alternative explanation in her book, Pittsburgh's Ghosts, Steel City Supernatural. Frazier had uncovered rumors that during the early settlement of the area, there was an outbreak of disease, possibly that of malaria, because of the swamp-like conditions near the road. Well, the outbreak caused several deaths and depopulated the area temporarily. Henceforth, the claim was this was the origin of Shades of Death Road. It may seem like a reasonable explanation. This account has problems, though, as well. Though historical information about the road is sparse, there does not seem to have ever been an outbreak of a malaria-type disease here in the past. In fact, the area around Shades of Death Road is not really swampy at all. It seems that this explanation was borrowed from another better-known Shades of Death Road, one located in New Jersey. Yes, believe it or not, there's more than one. The swamp story has been traditionally attached to the road for years. In the age of the internet legends, details like these can become mixed up, especially when the haunted locations share the same name. Joining me today for our travel down Shades of Death Road are Dave and Carrie Rupert, a part of the investigators for the Legend Hunters group. Uh, David is a co-founder of this group. Both David and Carrie belong to the Center of Cryptozoology Studies and for the Center of Unexplained Events, or Q. They are also a part of the Keystone Bigfoot Project, formerly known as the Pennsylvania Bigfoot Society. Tell us a little bit about yourself. We spend most of our time, well, all of, almost all of our free time in the woods doing things like this. It's just something that we're real passionate about. We have a good time with it. It all started out with sort of, we were investigating just the Bigfoot phenomenon. And as we got to investigating and things like that, we, we realized there was more to this. this the phenomenon. The phenomenons. So we decided, uh, me and Ryan uh, Caveline, decided one day we were talking we'd like to have our own group and that way we could just do whatever we want to do and uh, we came up with legend hunters which was at the time we thought was uh original but it turns out it's not all that original but that's all right and uh we just like to have a really good time with it and that's what it's all about it's having a good time with it i always said to carrie i said uh, if this ever turns into a job i'm out right. you know yeah. so <laughs> and carrie you're a uh, field researcher uh for the group tell us a little bit about your history david and i have been doing this for 14 years together and we we, we met and we both said, wouldn't it be really neat to like be able to investigate monsters and get into a monster group? It's too bad there's nothing around like that. And then um, after we got married and we got a computer, we were like so excited because right away we looked into it and we found out that we were able to, um, you know, be a part of a group and, and be able to investigate. So uh, I, I love it. I love like keeping like the legends alive, um, being able to like meet with people that have had experiences that are like, they're frightened, some of them, some of them are just curious or want to know, you know, how do I deal with what I just saw or what's happening to me? And so my thing is um, I enjoy like helping other people 
to be able to to cope with what they're experiencing and trying to get them answers is my thing and trying to keep the legends alive like like that's our main thing with legend hunters is a lot of these things get forgotten and it's really sad you know and so we want to keep things keep everybody you know informed about the history of things and and looking into things and how many cases have you been on over the years Ah, oh, that's a good question. I, I was estimating myself. Uh, I was thinking somewhere it had to have been over uh, hundreds. Remember. It had to have been hundreds. Uh, I mean, yeah. with just you know doing the Bigfoot thing, uh, I know there for a while the the, uh, the Bigfoot was really hot, and it seemed like the sightings were coming in left and right. And and you'd I'd swear, and I never like I said, I never kept track or anything like that. But I'd swear that we was doing at least 50 investigations a year just on the Bigfoot. And uh, then we added everything else in on it and then wound up doing all that stuff on, on top of it, you know, as far as like, you know, hauntings and UFOs, stuff like that. With Legend Hunters, it's also about video filming. Um, Ryan Cavallini, who's also the founder, he videos and makes movies. He's a, you know, a production um, specialist. And so his passion is to document it through film. So that's another thing, but that's a good question. Like, I would say, I would say at least 250. I would at least. Does that sound like a good cases, number? 250 cases. I would say, say 251. Definitely. Think better. Oh, two. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but that, I'm going to document things. I'm going to start doing, like, I do document things, but I, I, that's a good question. Thank you for asking that. Does your family understand what you do? Do your relatives, I mean, everybody accepting on everything? I mean, I know your children are part of the group now, mm -hmm. so it's going to the next generation. Well, even with the children, uh, they are getting to the point now where mom and dad is a little screwy. I think they think we're a little nutty. But uh, I mean, our family always gets a good giggle out of it. You know, when we talk about what we talk about, and you know, you can see them, they'll start smirking, but they'll, they'll be supportive. They're supportive to us. Uh, but, you know, when I hear what we're doing, like when we say we're going out to do something like this, they're like, oh, that sounds cool. Let's go. I would, I'd like to go with you and do that, you know, but. Uh, they like to hear what we have to say. And I know my mom's very open to it. My mom's really supportive. His parents are too, but, uh, like you got into it because your mom bought you a book. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, and so what was the when you were a book child. Entitled. What was the I don't first remember book? the name of the book. I know I know it was it was a it was a two sided book. And if you had it on one side it had Bigfoot there and you could read like the whole way through about Bigfoot. Flip it over and it was about the Loch Ness Monster and you could read about the Loch Ness Monster. And uh, <laughs> so that really, you know, sparked my imagination or, or you know my my want to do this you know it really got me into it and uh they even went my mom at one point i remember i was, I was pretty young got me a book on it was called poltergeist and it was about true stories of poltergeist and stuff like that and and i'd read that but uh yeah they sort of fueled it you know your mom fueled yeah. it i think and mm -hmm. and um also like um i know like people of our community they know we do this and we even brought it we were cub scout leaders for our boys you know for six, six years and so both of us you know had a group of 30 boys and so we brought all that into that too which is pretty exciting and they still see us hey you still looking for bigfoot what are you doing like how's things going and we have um people in church that'll stop us and ask us how things are going and um i had i like we look for gold too and um 
dense run gold is something that just came about you know like we've been looking for this gold for four years and it's so funny because I have customers coming in I, I'm a bank teller and they're like hey did you do you know anything about that gold did you hear it was found and has your group ever looked into that and it's like yeah now I, I have to say but Dave and Carrie are also treasure hunters as well uh, as a part of your group Tell us about one of those cases that you liked. Well, the, the main one we worked on was uh, the, uh, the dense run gold. And, and that's what got us into the treasure hunting. It's a uh, lost Civil War gold. Three soldiers were taking it through the dense run area. And I'm not 100% sure. I don't remember exactly where they were taking it. They were Union soldiers. Mm -hmm. And uh, on the way, two of the guys died. And the other one decided to hide the gold. And... To put it to you this way, it never made it where it was supposed to. They wanted to keep it. Uh, now, two of the other uh, two, two, two uh, of the party died, and uh, whether or not it was a natural death or if a lot of people think that he poisoned the other guys or, or whatever, so he could keep the gold himself. But anyway, uh, we got into it and, and we got into and looking into it, and uh, we did extensive searches on it for about four years now. We even we met up with old treasure hunters. Uh, one one fellow we met up with, uh, he couldn't get out no, no more. He was get, you know at that age, and you know he passed on his maps to us, and he even gave us his metal detector and stuff like that. And he was just he was just happy to say that somebody else is going to carry the torch and go look for it. It's pretty um, amazing. Whenever we got into it, we didn't realize how many people were actually looking for it. I couldn't get over it. I mean, there's a ton of people out there uh, searching for it, a bunch of groups. Uh, recently, it popped up again. The the whole legend did uh, because of this group. Um, I believe the name of that group was Finders Keepers. Uh, claimed to have found it or knows knew where it was at, and it wound up that uh, the FBI got mixed in with this, uh, searching for the dense run gold. And um, as far as I know, right now at this point, they haven't found anything. But we've been kind of following up on that and uh, seeing. It's just pretty interesting to see it come up again. Well, what happened too with with that gold is. It was a wagon, mm -hmm. and it was it was hijacked. Is what happened. So we walked a thousand feet. We were up this mountain, and uh, we ended up finding uh, pieces of the wagon wheel, and we found boards. For we the found too. yeah boards, and so it was it was really like we we're like we're getting close. Now David met with finders keepers at one point and did get to go down in the hole where they believe that this was because they wanted you know some another group's advice. We all work really well together, and when you went down there um you said you saw like fool's gold but you didn't feel like well, it was actually was something in the rocks and i said i wondered if that's what they were seeing you know the gold in the rocks but you know it, it wasn't it wasn't the gold of course yeah. but but they didn't <clears> have the rights to be able to you know you, you really can't like because you're on state game lands you're not allowed so um that's why they ended up needing the fbi and stuff because they really thought that they found something and it would have all went to the state which if we did find it we would definitely let them know of course and oh, heck no yeah. i'd be gone no <laughs> <laughs> are you but, saying an early retirement i'm saying you? an early retirement yes <laughs> but it, yeah i even brought the newspaper article because this is like the talk right now in our little area so as I traveled down Shades of Death Road, over the years, there have been different accounts of murders, hanging, suicides that have spread amongst the youth and those who like to take part in legend trips. These alleged tragedies are also responsible for many other people coming to visit Shades of Death Road. Shades of Death Road has several different legends involved with it. One 
is with the Ku Klux Klan. There's also a legend that deals with the Mason-Dixon line, a legend that deals with a young man who had become despondent and crashed on the road, amongst other more interesting ghost stories. I'm excited to be here and, and see the Shades of Death Road, and I'm really happy that you're here because you know so many things about this and the history of it. What about the, uh, the Ku Klux Klan? I heard that there was a lynching of a slave. Can you tell me about that? Yes, actually on Shades of Death Road, there are several legends involving hangings. Uh, one of these hangings were reported, dates back all the way to before the time of the Civil War. Now the details are vague as usual, but the story involves or works around an unnamed escaped slave. This man managed to make it across the Mason-Dixon line and the Underground Railroad, uh, which enabled him to do so, did run in the vicinity of nearby Avella. Now according to the legend, a group of local men had actually found this escaped African-American man. According to the legends on Shades of Death Road, they captured the man, took him down to the lowest part of the road, found a branch, and lynched the man and killed him in cold blood. Aww. Now, there was a similar story also that took place later on around the 1920s. Again, this story too involved the Ku Klux Klan. In this particular tale or lore. Again, there was an African-American who was taken by a group of men down to one of the trees that are located along Shades of Death Road. There, again, he was hung in cold blood, this time by the Ku Klux Klan, and not found for days later. Tony, uh, one of the things that I've heard a lot about was, uh, you know, some more recent stuff like car accidents and things like that. Uh, could you tell me a little bit about, um, you know, one of those accidents or, or a legend that follows that? Absolutely, Dave. Not only were there hangings on the road uh, that dealt with uh, the idea of Ku Klux Klan or racism, not much long ago, uh, supposedly on the road, uh, there was a, um, an accident that was supposed to take place between the mid-1970s or the late 1990s, depending upon which tale you've heard. Now, in this particular tale, a desperate young man is in a doomed relationship. Uh, he's despondent. Most of the time in the story, he faces some type of financial ruin. At some point in his life, he decides he can no longer go on. So he decides to come down Shades of Death Road. He basically felt that he had no hope. He parked his car at the lowest spot of the road. You'll realize soon that most of these legends take place at the lowest part of the road by the creek. Why that is, no one really knows. But in this particular tale, the young man again, he takes a rope out and ends his life by hanging himself. His body was not discovered for at least several days. Now, the ghosts or the ghosts of all of these hanged men are said to manifest themselves to visitors of Shades of Death Road. Mm. Now, to encounter the ghosts, all you have to do is get in your automobile or walk down to the lowest part of the road. 
At this point, you would perform the ritual. Could you tell me about the ritual that takes place, Tony? Like, what do you have to do? Because I, I, we definitely, Legend Hunters and CCS, we want to try this. It's amazing. Sure, sure. So one has to simply drive to the spot. You would stop your car. You would shut off your headlights. At this point, you want to roll down the windows of the car and then blow your horn in a succession three times. You should soon hear footsteps around the car. Sometimes people have also claimed to see shadowy figures surrounding the car. If you're brave enough to get out, you're supposed to hear someone breathing behind you. But the kicker is no one's ever there. Now many times there have been cries and eerie cries of help emanating from the woods, but those who investigated never seemed to find the source. Being a legend trip destination, the road also has a supernatural car-related story. It involves a fatal accident, of course, but with a bit of a twist. This time, the accident is attributed to one of the other ghosts. The most common version tells of a young man who was driving a bit too fast on the winding and dark road late one evening. Something distracts him, causing him to swerve and to run into a tree. He was supposedly killed on impact. It was the ghost of one of these hanged men that we spoke of earlier who is supposed to appear suddenly in the headlights, causing the victim to swerve. Now the ghost of the angry young driver is also said to haunt the road and frighten those who are brave enough to travel down it. Tony, there was uh, rumors that I did hear about Shades of Death Road, about bodies uh, being dumped there. And, and possibly even uh, like shallow graves, things like that? Yes, David, there were rumors for years that Shades of Death Road was being used as a dumping ground for bodies. While researching the legends, Victoria Trimble found a man who had a direct link to such a tale. He told our investigator that his uncle made a disturbing discovery on the road in his youth. He and his sister had gone down the road when they were young to pick berries but they soon discovered an abandoned car. Inside the car, there were two bodies, that of a man and of a woman, each with a bullet hole in their head. Now Trimble's informant had heard that the mafia was from Steubenville, Ohio, and that once they used the isolated road as a place to dispose of these bodies, which was close to out of state. The same man also heard more recently that there were stolen vehicles that were occasionally dumped on the road and may be there still as well. Supposedly, there was a time when the police were unwilling to go and travel down the road to recover these vehicles. There have been lynchings and car accidents, ghosts, uh, all kinds of different like phenomenon. What do you think is the main reason? Where do you think this all stemmed from? That's an excellent question, Carrie. I believe, or I speculate, that the Shades of Death Road actually began or started with a real historical event. The road's most unique legend, and the one that's tied to the most historically variable, or I should say verifiable, event, 
are those involving coal miners and phantom coal miners. Avella and the surrounding communities have been economically tied to coal mining since their earliest days. And I don't need to explain that mining is both brutal and dangerous work. Wool took a substantial toll on the miners and the families who lived in this community by Shades of Death Road. People in the mining communities formed tight bonds as they struggled against often harsh mine owners and management for better wages and improved safety measures. Such struggles sometimes can turn violent, and that was in fact the case in 1922. One such labor dispute just over the border in West Virginia had a tremendous impact on the peoples of Avella. One night on July 16th, 1922, a large group of union mine workers were on strike and they were gathering in Avella. They normally worked at the Richland Coal Company, Clifton Mine, just over the border in neighboring Brook County, West Virginia, not far from here. The mine's new owner converted it to an open shop and the Avella miners were determined to prevent non-union workers from taking over their jobs. The men agreed to gather the next morning at the mine to forcibly prevent this from happening. At some point in the night, the owners of the mine were tipped off, and the company guards asked Brook County Sheriff Harding Duval and his deputies to come to stop miners from taking over the mine. When the train carrying the non-union workers arrived a little after 5 a.m. on the morning of July 17, 1922, the union workers were hiding nearby in the woods. Violence would soon erupt, and the strikers set the tipple on fire. The tipple was later blown up with dynamite by company workers. By the time the riot ended, at least nine people, including the sheriff, Mr. Duval, were dead. Most of the fatalities were members of the union. The exact number of deaths has been disputed for years, as many workers were injured badly during the conflict, but they did not necessarily die there, but in shallow graves in the woods. Some of the workers' bodies were never properly identified or recovered, either because they were burned or because, according to local traditions, they were hastily buried in the woods between the mine and the vela during the workers' retreat. Although it cannot be proven 100%, there is some speculation that one or more of these miners had died or been buried on Shades of Death Road. Now this traumatic riot and its aftermath still resonate in Avella today in the surrounding communities. It would not be a stretch to assume that this incident is the probable origin of the stories of these ghost miners reported around Shades of Death Road. Whether there were actually any buried there or not, the ghosts are an echo of the tumultuous event that remains in both the community's members and its folklore. Unlike some of the other tales associated with Shades of Death Road, there is no apparent legend trip ritual tied to the miners and the ghost miners. One can't easily test for this presence, whether it's real or not. They are not reported to be especially interactive with visitors to the road. Instead, they are a shadowy reminder of the hardships and tragedies 
that were faced by this coal mining community. The future of the legends and ghosts of Shades of Death Road is uncertain. Some new development has appeared at both ends of the road, as well as gas wells. It remains to be seen if this development will spread deeper into the woods along the roads. But in any case, this is definitely a legend trip for Shades of Death Road. Well, I'd like to thank David and Carrie from Legend Hunters today for being here and joining us on Shades of Death Road. Well, thank you for having us, Tony. We thoroughly enjoyed ourselves. We're excited to be here and being investigating Shades of Death Road and learning so many things about it. And um, please, if anybody has anything they want us to look into uh, as researchers, please contact us. Um, we're on Facebook under Legend Hunters. We're with Brian and Terry Siege through CCS and Q. And um, we also, you know, you can buy our movie, Mountain Devil, that's out. Um, and yeah, we're just, we're just pleased to be here. It's it, great to be here. It's it really beautiful is. out here and it's, it is creepy. You can feel, you can feel it. It really is great to be here. Thanks for having us. Thank you again both for being here. This is Tony Lavorna for Tony Lavorna's Legends and Lore podcast, a part of the Social Voice Project Network. Please, if you like today's tale, go listen to our other tales on the podcast. As I stand here today in this beautiful road, as I look at these twisted trees that are a stark contrast to the beautiful red brick church, the Bethel Church that stands here, I can't help but wonder about the many legends in this strong historical past on this America's Ghost Road, Shades of Death Road. you like what you've heard be sure to like rate and review the show on your favorite podcast app you are listening to a production of the social voice project The ghosts or the ghosts of all of these hanged men are said to manifest themselves to visitors of Shades of Death Road. Mm. Now, to encounter the ghosts, all you have to do is get in your automobile or walk down to the lowest part of the road. At this point, you would perform the ritual. What is the ritual? What is that ritual that we should do? (laughs) Cue it again. (laughs) Cue it again? I forgot we got sensitive, Mike. Go ahead. I can hear your stomach rattling. Jeez. Don't let gas out, guys. Wow. Because that'll make it in the tank. Wow. We have a lot of fun with this. We in 15 minutes yet? We haven't even got to the road. Okay, good. Okay. This concludes our broadcast. <laughs>